After some last-minute Christmas shopping, uh, a grandmother had a couple of her grandchildren with her, and um, she, of course, was rushing them back into the car because uh, she was pretty exhausted. They got into the car, and her five-year-old grandson, Jason, said, Grandma, Avery has something in her pocket. He reached in and pulled out a brand new plastic necklace that she borrowed from the store. So grandma had been shopping and she was tired and she knew it was important for Avery to bring that back to where she took it. And so they got out of the car, went back into the store. They apologized and made everything right. And, um, and at the uh, checkout, and he's the best of the family, said, I've been very good, but my sister just robbed the store. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever had somebody put a finger on you, you know, you're on the spotlight, uh, you feel uncomfortable, maybe it was in a classroom where a teacher called on you and you didn't know the answer. Whatever the case may be, man, it's very uncomfortable for sure. And um, tonight we're going to talk for a few moments about a character in the Bible who had the spotlight put on her. And her life was totally interrupted. And so, uh, as you can see in your notes, God will give me more than I can handle. And we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26. And um, we'll be drilling down in these next few verses this evening. Verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. And Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity we have to gather on Christmas Eve. Thank you that we can enjoy your presence. We can sing to you. We can allow you to speak to us. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for Mary's example that we're about to find out exactly what happened in her life, where the spotlight was placed on her and how she responded. And so we thank you for each person in this building, those watching online. We pray, Lord, that you'll make yourself known to each one of us in a very special way this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. First of all, in this text, we see God knows where I live. Some of you are thinking, no, he doesn't. Uh, yes, he does. Yes, he does. Take a look at verse 26 again. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. And she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. I don't know about you, but maybe you've been running from God. Maybe you've been hiding from God and you think God doesn't know where you live. Well, here's a flare in the air tonight. God knows exactly where you live and what you're up to. And it's, he's not watching you and he's not uh, following after you because he wants to take care of business. No, no. He's, he's watching you and he's following after you because he wants to have a relationship. That's what it's all about. He wants that personal relationship with you. In Hebrews 4.13, it says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. 
Aren't you glad from that? You can't, you can't hide from them, man. Nothing is hidden from them. And so we see that evidenced right in this text. Now, six months earlier, Gabriel, this angel, made an announcement in the epicenter of the Jewish world, right in Jerusalem. It was given to a man, a priest, Zechariah, who really could not believe the announcement from Gabriel. Now, Mary, she has the same angel show up six months later and have a conversation with her. Now, Gabriel shows up in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. There's three distinct times that the Bible references Gabriel. It was 500 years earlier when Daniel was in Babylon, Gabriel shows up to have a conversation with Daniel. Daniel in the lion's den. That's the reference point. And then the second one was he visits Zechariah the high priest in Luke 119. And listen to what Gabriel says to him. I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. Pretty cool. So 500 years earlier, he's talking to Daniel. Now he's talking to Zechariah. And now the third one, he visits Mary. Anytime Gabriel shows up, guess what? He's got something pretty important to say. That's true. And we see that God was the one that sent him. Now, the thing was, God had not spoken for over 400 years to the nation of Israel. Those were the quiet years. It seemed like God disappeared. God forgot about Israel. But God had everything under control. And maybe God's been quiet in your life. You know, maybe there's been a season in your life and it feels like, God, you can't hear from him. You can't listen for his voice because he's silent. Guess what? God is still working because God had a plan for Mary. He had his calendar out. He knew exactly when he was going to have this conversation with her. And so we see that God shows up in this little town of Nazareth. And that's where the Romans occupied that area. And there were inns, or you can call them hotels, motels. There were military people. There were business people. They would stop in Nazareth. And Nazareth did not have a very good reputation. In fact, it wasn't the place where you would look and say, you know what, I want to send off for a flyer because when we have vacation next summer, I want to go to Nazareth. No, that, it was a creepy town, man. And that's exactly where Mary and Joseph lived, in Nazareth. God could have showed up in Rome because, man, Rome was the world power of the day. God could have showed up in Athens because it was the intellectual center of the world of that day. God could have showed up in Jerusalem because it was the religious center of the world of that day. But instead, he goes to this little town, Nazareth, where Mary and Joseph are living. And so... Take a look at the map. You can see that Nazareth is 70 miles northeast of Jerusalem. Let's, uh, let's use our pointer. Here's Nazareth. Here's Jerusalem down here. And um, here's Bethlehem. You'll find out. <laughs> That's a big, big event for the, for the night as well. So here they're living in Nazareth. And um, God shows up. They have this conversation with Mary. So... It says in the text that Mary was engaged to Joseph. Now, here's the deal. Back in that day, when you were engaged, you had a public ceremony in the town square. 
the entire community was invited and the, the ceremony was you were married to each other for a year. They, it says they were engaged, but really, legally, they were married. And so during this year, it was an opportunity for the man to get the house ready, you know, for their wedding day, for, for the rest of their lives. And the lady continued to live at home with her parents. And during that year, if something happened, let's say, for example, she got pregnant, the town, they would take her out to the, to the uh, gates of the town and they would stone her. They would kill her. And so during that year, it was kind of like a holding pattern to see, okay, if these two people can trust each other and they honor the Lord in that relationship. So this is the, this is the setting that Gabriel is talking to Mary about. She's engaged. She's at home planning a wedding. And Gabriel shows up and says, guess what? You're highly favored. So here's the thing. Why didn't God spare Mary and Joseph because they were engaged? Why didn't he just go to a young lady who wasn't engaged to, to forego that, that tension and the shame that was put on them in those days? Well, God had a plan. And God was in the process of depositing his grace into the lives of Joseph and Mary. So God had a plan. Number two, remember God knows where you're at. God knows where you live. Number two, God loves me. Look at verse 28. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Who did Gabriel go to? He went to Mary. This lady who was planning her wedding and cleaning the house. In those days, girls ages 12 to 14 were usually engaged and married. The man was a few years older because he had to get a career going in order to support his new wife and then eventually their family. So Joseph would have been 16 to 18 years old. Mary was between 12 and 14 years old. Pretty young. So that's where Mary's at. And, and Gabriel comes and he says, favored woman, which means specially graced. She was favored because she was a special recipient of God's grace. Now, highly favored. Let's, let's take a look at that. Um, Breakpoint put out an article recently calling No Lies Necessary. Now listen to this. Mary was a follower of God. She was a young woman who wanted to live for him, to honor him, even though Nazareth had such a bad reputation. It was corrupt. There was crime. It was immoral. And yet Mary lived for God intentionally, which proves that you and I in this world, whether at school, at home, in our neighborhood, at work, we can live a godly life representing the character of God no matter what's going on around us. God empowers you to do that. Mary was that example here. But in the article, it says, belief in God is good for you. And not just in the eternal long run. There's a powerful link between Christian devotion and happiness, mental health, and participation in community. Pew Research found that actively religious people report being happier on average, than both atheists and nuns. Nuns are those who claim no religious affiliation. The religiously observant are also less likely to engage in risky behavior. 
drinking and smoking, and more likely by far to join non-religious groups like charities, clubs, and civic associations. In other words, there's a clear and well-documented connection between an act of faith and nearly all the accepted measures of personal well-being. So, of course, beyond the belonging and moral certainty of faith in God brings, religious people enjoy hope in the face of struggle, suffering, and even death. But what if you don't actually believe in God? What if you don't think there is a life after death? Can you still enjoy these benefits and, for that matter, pass them on to your kids? It may sound silly, but psychoanalyst Erica Commissar recently offered a serious answer in the Wall Street Journal. She writes, I am often asked by parents, how do I talk to my child about death if I don't believe in God or heaven? What was her answer? How, she's, how, how is she answering these parents? She said, you lie to your kids. Pretty hopeful, huh? Maybe that's something that you've been doing. You've been lying to your kids. Well, we know that Mary's parents didn't lie to her. They trained her. They equipped her to have that personal relationship with God. And so when Gabriel came looking for a young woman who would carry the Christ, she was chosen. And that's pretty cool. But we see that the Lord is with you. And Gabe, Gabriel is basically saying to Mary, hey, Mary, you need to really get excited about this. <laughs> You're specially graced, but the Lord is with you and he's going to help you carry Jesus during this time. And we know that this responsibility is bigger than you, but God is going to grace you to allow you to do it. Now, Jim Steen was having a conversation with his four-year-old son, Harrison, about how much Jesus loved him. And Jim knew that if he uh, asked Harrison where, where Jesus lived, Harrison, his son, would say, well, probably in my heart or in heaven. So when he submitted the question to Harrison, Harrison would thought for a few moments about it, and he said he lives in the basement because that's where we store our nativity scene. Jim was kind of taken back by that, of course. Listen, where does God live in your life? When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he comes in. He moves in. He lives in your heart, your core. And he empowers you to live for him and model the character of Christ. And so, just like Mary in verse 28, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. We need to remind ourselves that the Lord is with us as well. James 1.18 puts it this way, and we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. Isn't that cool? Out of everything in the universe, God looks at human beings, those who put their faith in Christ as his prized possession. That's what you are. And so even this Christmas, man, God has a prized possession, and you're it. Romans 5.8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. That's love. To God, every person is accepted, loved, valued, because he made them. And he's longing to have that personal relationship 
with each one of us when we put our faith and trust in him. Number three, God says, don't be afraid. Verse 29 and 30, confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary. And the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. Notice Mary doesn't say, how wonderful, the angel's speaking to me. You know, it's about time Gabriel showed up. <laughs> I'm that important. No, no, that's not, that's not what Mary was. It says that she was confused and disturbed. Have you ever had that experience with God? Maybe in a relationship with him, you can't, something happens and it's confusing and it disturbs you. Well, that's where Mary was. And that Greek word literally means to make an audit. For example, it's an accounting word. It means to add things up, to weigh, to ponder. That's what Mary was doing, trying to figure things out. And she says, you know what? I don't understand this. This, is, this doesn't make sense to me. I've never heard any, anything like this happening before. And so Mary is what? She's responding in faith by putting this whole situation on a table so Gabriel can help explain it back to her. And Gabriel says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Mary. Do you know what's cool? The Lord identifies our fears and our desires to help take the pressure off, to release the anxiety. Gabe called her by name. Not only does God know where you live, but he knows your name. Isn't that cool? You know, when you're in a, in a big group, sometimes you got to wear a name tag. So, you know, the, new, the people that don't know who you are, they can look at the name tag and say, oh, yeah, you're George or you're Betty. Right? God doesn't have to do that, man. He knows. He knows your name. And he knows where you live. And the message puts it this way. Mary, you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear. That's pretty cool. Why? Because God is with her. Later, we see that Mary expressed her faith in a song in Luke 1, 46 through 49, she had gone to Elizabeth, her relative's house, after getting this news from Gabriel. Most likely, she left Nazareth to get away from the gossip in that community, to maybe get away from the pressure she was feeling from her own parents. I mean, to believe a story that Mary was pregnant and she had no intimacy with Joseph. It was God. Would, would, you, would you believe that if your daughter came home and told you that story? That'd be a little edgy, man, you know? So she left town, went to Elizabeth to be encouraged by her. And while she's there, Elizabeth kind of speaks into Mary's life and say, man, you are blessed. You are fortunate to be carrying the Christ child. And listen to how Mary responds in verse 46. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. Psychologists have identified 645 different known fears that people have in their lives. Fear is a universal problem. I think there's a lot going on in our world today where people are living in fear. It's keeping them from sleeping well at night. Fear has brought worry and, and anxiety into their world. And so 
we know that fear will take away your joy, you know? When's the last time you laughed? Huh? I mean, really laughed. Because we know laughter is a good medicine that the Lord gives to us. So, here's some good news. You don't have to be afraid. Why? Because God's on your side. Romans 8.31, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Right? So what's your greatest fear? Failure, rejection, disappointing others, or fitting in? Well, we know the people living in Israel in that first century, the Roman Empire ruled that nation. And the Romans occupied Nazareth and, and Jerusalem and on and on and on. And life was not easy for these people. And they were waiting to be liberated. It was stressful times for them. And so there's a lot of fear in our world today. I mean, you take a look at Russia, you take a look at China. The envelopes are being moved, aren't they? And that's why it's important that we keep our eyes on the Lord. And so this Christmas, we need to take some wisdom from Veggie Tales, man. Let's see what they have to say. Be brave. You and God together can handle anything. Well, that got to Mary. She was brave, and she could handle anything that the world threw at her because she knew God was with her. That's great news. Number four, God has a purpose for me, verses 31 and 33. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever and his kingdom will never end. So we see, once again, Mary's living in Nazareth, God using ordinary people, man. Those who have willing hearts, those who are available to God, those who are willing to take up the responsibility that he wants to place on them. And so with God's favor, Mary's life was turned upside down. It was, man. She had plans, and those plans <laughs> changed dramatically. You take a look at the Bible and people that looked foolish to the world. For example, Noah building an ark. Nobody ever did that before. How about Moses crossing the Red Sea? Nobody ever did that before. How about the Israelites walking around Jericho and the walls crashing down? How about David pulling out a slingshot and taking down a giant? How about Mary pregnant as a virgin? How about the wise men following a star? How about Jesus hanging on a cross? See, each of these examples, they looked foolish to the people around them. But God had a plan. We need, to, we need to dare to look foolish when God stretches us and gives us his will for our lives. We say that you will name him Jesus and he will be very great and be called the Son of God. That's what God saves, man. Mary recognized that Jesus was God who saves, saves us, rescues us from a life of sin to open the door for that forgiveness and that personal relationship with him. And so what's your purpose and my purpose in life? Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Let's represent him well, like Mary did. Number five, God's fine with my questions. 
verse 34, Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. A pregnant virgin, that's an oxymoron. Think about it. In other words, with all due respect, Mr. Gabriel, how can this happen? I've never been intimate with Joseph. You know, this is impossible. Mary's asking a logical question here, and um, she's saying, you know what, I've never been with Joseph. She wasn't questioning Gabriel. She was questioning the methodology, trying to figure it out. How does this work? (laughs) This is something new to me. Sometimes we ask how to God, don't we? How can I live a godly life in this culture? How can I be honest at work? How can I live an uncompromised life? How can I survive this crisis I'm experiencing right now? How does it work, Lord? How does it work? Well, Lee Strobel, who was a former atheist, put his faith in Jesus Christ, and this is what he says, don't you think God would rather have you be honest with him about your questions than have you profess a phony faith? He knows what's going on the inside of you anyway. It's absurd to think you can mask our questions and doubts from him. An authentic relationship means telling the truth about how we feel. And that's the kind of relationship God wants with us. Isn't that cool? When you read the Bible, you'll see, like I'm, I'm reading through the book of Job right now, and Job is asking God a lot of questions, man. I'm like, God, this doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. What are you doing to me? Now, some people would think, you know, you should never ask God questions because you're going to tick them off. No, God knows what you're thinking anyway. So you might as well just let him know, you know, reaffirm what he already knows. Get it off your chest. God, I don't understand this. It doesn't make sense. Well, that's what exactly what Mary was doing. Now, Mary Tice puts it this way, the day God gave me more I can handle, She said, I read a blog with a sweet little story that ended with a sweet little quote that we've probably all heard hundreds of times. God will never give you more than you can handle. Anybody ever read that before or hear that before? Yeah, yeah. While the article was good, I couldn't stop thinking about that overly used go-to Christian phrase, God will never give you more than you can handle. Well, during some of the toughest times in my life, I've been told that God would not give me more than I can handle. She says, I hate to break it to you. But we're wrong. We're all getting it so wrong. God gave me more, way more than I can handle on multiple occasions. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that God won't give us more than we can handle. It does say we won't be tempted beyond what we can bear and that he will provide a way out of temptation so that we can handle it. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It's talking about temptation, not enduring the trials and hardships of life. I would go so far as to say that God absolutely does give us more than we can handle, but he does so for a purpose. She says, life is hard, it's scary, it's lonely, it's confusing, it's dark, and there will be times that it's more than you can ever possibly deal with alone. But you know what? God doesn't expect you to do it alone. And while it's way easier said than done, I truly believe that surrendering to God is the key to the peace in our darkest hours. That's what Mary was doing. She was surrendering to God's will, working through the process. It means trusting God's timing, not knowing when it will come. It means leaning on him, seeking him, trusting his will. 
You'll find comfort in knowing that you aren't walking down this road alone. God is walking right beside you, and he's ready to carry your load just as soon as you make the choice to surrender to him. Let him handle it. He's got it. Friends, tonight, I don't know what you're going through. Maybe not quite as taxing as what Mary was dealing with at this time, where she was floating these questions to Gabriel. How is this going to happen? Do you realize what's going to happen to my life if I say yes? Our world is broken, and each one of us will experience things that we can't handle alone. But God wants us to lean on him so he can walk us through the process to the other side. Let's let him do it, just like Mary did. And finally, number six, God helps me with my decision. Look at verse 35. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail, or nothing is impossible with God. How would, how would you respond in a situation like that? Mary responds in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Mary carried Christ for those nine months until she delivered Jesus. You and I, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit moves in, that same Holy Spirit. And he empowers us to live for him in a very cool way. Romans 8, 11 says, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. So Mary says, I'm the Lord's servant. That means she volunteered. It's not saying you're a slave and you're saying, I don't want to be a slave. This word servant means she voluntarily put herself in a servant's role, saying, whatever you want me to do, I'm willing to do it. What a model for each one of us, friends. We get to say yes to Jesus the same way. And Mary knew what would happen, you know. She knew the traditional society in this little town that gossipers would start railing against her. You know, they would accuse her. That's the kind of environment that she would have to live through. And she knew it. And yet, she said yes to Jesus Christ. I grew up in a home where my 19-year-old mother became pregnant by my father before they were married. And back in that day, there was a stigma, man. There was shame that these ladies carried. And unfortunately, my mother never forgave herself. She didn't forgive my dad. And she never could respond to the forgiveness of God in her own life. And so I lived my life in that kind of environment that you, you can almost, you could feel the cloud, the weight that my mom carried through most of her life. 
feeling guilty, feeling the shame, knowing full well that God would forgive her if she confessed that sin. And in her early 50s, she contracted disease, she contracted um, cancer. And during that time, I started having conversations with her about the love of God and how much God loved her and how God wanted to forgive her. And the last year that she lived, she embraced that, where she accepted God's forgiveness. And I can tell you something, man, it liberated her. Because in that process, she received the forgiveness of God, she forgave herself, and she forgave my father. I'm telling you, man, it was a huge difference in their relationship. And ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you've been carrying shame or guilt for whatever reason, man, you're carrying it. And tonight, Mary, you know, work through that whole process, trusting God, that God will pour his grace into her life. And even though there's false accusations against her, she was doing what was called on her to carry Jesus. You and I have been called to carry Christ wherever we go as well. And so tonight, before we wrap up, I just want to encourage all of us, man, that as we've already heard John 3.16, Ken, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That is a love story. You matter so much to God. Just like he came and visited with Mary, he wants to visit with you to the point where you open up your life and say, Jesus, you went to the cross. You came as a baby. You grew up as a man to go to the cross to pay for my sin debt so that I can be forgiven, so that you can move in by your Holy Spirit and we can have this relationship. Not only you know, waiting for heaven, but we can have it right here, right now. That's what he wants to do. And we see in Romans 5, 6, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Isn't that cool? That's the Christmas message. Jesus came as a baby to go to the cross to die for our sins, come out of that grave three days later so that we could be with him forever in heaven, having this incredible relationship right here, right now, and have it all the way for all of eternity in heaven. Maybe that's you tonight. You'd say, yep, I believe. That's me. I believe Jesus died in my place on the cross. I believe Jesus forgives me. Lord, forgive me my sins. He's going to do it. And I'm inviting you, Jesus, into my life tonight because I'm putting my trust that you are who you said you are, the Savior of the world and that we can have that relationship forever. Right there, where you're seated, you can do that. Lord, I believe you are the Son of God. You took my place on the cross, and you paid my sin debt in full. I embrace that tonight totally, Lord. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for coming into my life. Thank you for that new relationship I can have with you. In Jesus' name, amen.